ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the RBR Recap. Presented by Round by Round Boxing and RX Water. Welcome back to the RBR Recap, episode 15. I'm joined by Gabe Brevis. I'm Alex Burgos here on an early Sunday morning after a exciting night of boxing, Saturday, April 30th. We had two uh, important matchups in boxing, one in women's boxing, one in men's boxing. And we're going to kick it off first with the fight that Gabe is in town for, I'll say, uh, for the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano uh, historic matchup. Probably every women's boxer that's notable ever was there, seemingly. Um, we had a lot of good commentary from the likes of Jessica McCaskill, uh, Clarissa Shields, and now we're dropping our two cents on this matchup, which I will say lived up to the hype and surpassed it. Katie Taylor won a split decision over Amanda Serrano by scores of 96-94 for Serrano, 97-93 for Taylor, and then 96-93 for Taylor. Things exploded on social media afterwards because, you know, people started calling for, oh, quote unquote, robbery and this and that. I wanted to be in the moment just for a minute before I got into starting to think, oh, did the right, uh, you know, fighter win? But it was an incredible matchup, uh, definitely set up for a rematch. And who knows, maybe one of these uh, epic trilogies as well. And so, Gabe, let's kick it to you. You were there. Talk a little bit about not only what you thought of the fight, just the atmosphere itself, because that seemed to be a lot of what people were uh, talking about online as well. It was a fun experience. I've been here since about Tuesday morning. There was a media workout Wednesday, press conference Thursday, weigh in Friday, and obviously the fights on Saturday. And with each event, progressively, you saw more and more people attend and more and more media attend. And this was really an international event. You had some reporters from Puerto Rico, but you also had a lot of reporters coming in from Ireland um, and the UK. And the same with the fans. I feel like there was a strong Irish presence, uh, both with regard to the media and the fans, and uh, uh, once inside MSG on Saturday night, it, you could, it was evident as well. There's a lot of Puerto Ricans, but when Katie started coming out, when her name started being chanting, when you saw the flag and all the green colors uh, in the stands, you can tell that there was a strong Irish presence, whether they were local people or flying in uh, to see the fight. It really was an electric atmosphere. Um, the last time I had been there was for the Canelo fight, and it was very similar in terms of being almost an almost packed crowd cheering on uh, for the main event. The only difference was it was two women in the main event. And that's what makes it historic to see two women in the main event getting the same kind of love and attention and international appeal that you would see um, from two star fighters uh, in men's boxing. Yeah, I agree. And since, like I said, we're here Sunday morning pretty early, I haven't gotten a chance to watch the whole thing back through. I did see some highlights. And first thing I want to say is, they asked Tony Bellew and Cluster Shields about the three minute rounds uh, and how that this fight would have played out in that fifth. Bellew was like, you know, Katie Taylor probably doesn't make it out of the fifth if it's three minute rounds. But then at the same time, like we mentioned in the precap, it just forces the fighters to press the action. And it's a different strategic, um, you know, game plan going into a fight where, you know, you're going to have to make things happen. And I think Amanda Serrano really applied smart pressure. Um, but one thing I don't think that the commentators picked up on and they kept on asking, why did Amanda Serrano take her foot off the pedal around the seventh? She didn't take her foot off the pedal because she just wanted to. She, I think she blew her load in the fifth and sixth. I mean, she thought she had Katie Taylor out and everyone did. Uh, you're talking about the look in Katie Taylor's eyes. She looked gone. 
and just maybe a couple punches away. And Amanda Serrano really threw everything at her, you know, <laughs> except the kitchen sink. She did everything she could. And maybe in hindsight, she should have been a little bit more cautious thinking this girl might survive. Let me plan for the later rounds, because I think eight, nine, 10, she started winging shots very sloppily and she was getting countered more cleanly. And so those were the rounds um, that I think Katie Taylor really showed her grit and her ability to really come back and counter. And ultimately, um, I think that's the style that won her the fight. I think on first glance, Amanda Serrano won. Not terribly upset at a split decision, but, you know, it's one of those fights where you're watching from different angles, different perspectives, and you're kind of seeing different things you could see by the scores. Right. Um, and it depends on what kind of style uh, you prefer or you give precedence to in a kind of fight like that. Do you give a lot more emphasis to the people who are coming forward and throwing shots and pushing the action or someone who's boxing? I think it was Katie Taylor's boxing skills that really helped her win the fight and win some early rounds. Well, I mean, from the very first round, you can see her using her legs, landing right hands and landing counter hooks, especially mm -hmm. the counter hooks. By the second round, you could kind of see some marks on Amanda's face by just landing those counter hooks. By the fourth round, you can see some marks on the other side of her face from Katie Taylor landing the right hand. And those early first, first four rounds were really uh, important for her in winning this fight because that's when she's fresh. That's when she's moving. That's when she can able, uh, is able to use her speed to score some of those early rounds. But like you mentioned, that fifth and sixth and maybe seventh round, when Amanda started landing all her shots, maybe she did blow her load. But what I also noticed, more than Amanda Serrano and blowing, you know, and, and throwing too many punches and perhaps getting too tired, was the way that Katie Taylor did not know what to do with that kind of pressure. Katie Taylor's reaction, I think it's a little concerning. Like you said, if it were three rounds, who knows what would have happened? If Toronto had had more power, who knows what would have happened? Because um, Katie Taylor, she didn't know how to smother. She didn't know how to move her head. It was, let me throw some wide shots as a counter. And then Serrano's was, punches was a lot shorter and she was able to land in between and land even more and land even harder shots. Had Serrano perhaps placed them a little bit more intelligently through fewer, she would have been able to keep that pressure more consistently in, in round seven, eight, nine, and 10 and perhaps won the fight. So I agree with you in that regard. Yeah, and I mean, let's not leave out the body work that Serrano was doing as well. That gets overlooked completely by judges. And I think um, the investment she put in the body also helped her out to um, you know, slow Katie down a bit and, and then really catch up with her in the fifth. But it's one of those rounds also, Clarissa Shields mentioned on the broadcast, you could potentially score 10-8. Uh, it was that much of a one-sided round. So, you know, there's that extra caveat as well, but uh, really lived up to the hype, exceeded it, and would love to see a rematch. Also on Saturday night and a good timing between top rank and, you know, DAZN and everything, we led right into the Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson fight. Uh, a different fight. And this one was for a unified title at Super Featherweight. Uh, Valdez putting his WBC title on the line and Shakur Stevenson bringing his WBO title. The fight really played out, I think, to what we thought was going to happen. Again, we spoke to this on the, the RBR precap. And it was really a, a bull versus matador type thing. And I will mention something that Clarissa Shields said on the DAZN uh, broadcast where they're asking her, you know, what did you think about the Taylor Serrano fight? She's like, you know, epic fight, fight of the year, one of the greatest women's fights. She's like, I'm never going to be in one of those because I'm going to I'm going to beat you 100 to 90 and I'm going to go home 
and I'm gonna be good. That's yeah. that's Shakur Stevenson. Yeah, he's not he's not gonna be in the fight of the year, and and that's it's funny because all the criticism he's getting now on Sunday is from fans, predominantly Oscar Valdez fans. That that's how he built his career and his fan base, and you know, chingasos and you know, Mexicanos. That's what they want to see. They want to see the knockout of Burchelt type style. He never got anywhere near Shakur Stevenson, and it was a near shutout. Um, honestly, in my eyes, uh, it was a dominant uni- uh, unanimous decision victory for Shakur Stevenson. He really cements himself as one of the best young fighters. I mean, what did you think of the fight, the styles, and just how everything played out? Shakur Stevenson is an impressive fighter, um, excellent boxer. And like we said in the precap, he'd had all these things to his advantage, um, his youth, the height, the reach, um, all of that was in his favor. And of course, the skills, being able to work from the outside and work from the jab, it was a dominant performance from uh, Shakur Stevenson. At the beginning, you can kind of see that perhaps Valdez would perhaps be able to cut the distance or close the distance. Um, he was able to land some short right hands down the pipe, land some shots to the body. As soon as Shakur Stevenson got his rhythm, there was absolutely nothing that yeah, was off to the race. Yeah, and 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 I think um, I'm really impressed with how composed Shakur Stevenson is. Really, just uh, um, uh, a professional, calm style, breaking down his opponent, using his jab to keep him away, uh, landing a few combinations when when possible, landing the counter shots when possible, and also using the measuring stick. There was some discussion. You could see the referee kind of telling him to stop when he was using his left hand to measure. But I think that's all fair game. If you're doing it with the intent to keep him away, throw some punches around the guard or mix it up a little bit. There's a, a I mean, it was interesting. I was, I was hoping that Andre Ward would have said more on the broadcast, but there's a video you can look it up on YouTube of the way that Andre Ward is able to use his lead hand to kind of keep his opponents at bay, but also hold them for a second and then touch them to the body hold them for the first second to the top and throw the, the body shots. We saw Shakur Stevenson doing that as well, using his lead, lead left hand, not just as a, as a jab, but as a measuring stick, as a, as a way of opening up other different uh, avenues for offense. So uh, just a beautiful performance by Stevenson using his footwork, um, using his jab, using all his tools to become a unified champion. Agreed. Yeah. I, I will say Kenny Bayless was like a prop in there. I mean, he was awful. Uh, you know, I think it, it took him until the 11th round after the whole fight warning Shakur Stevenson about leaving that lead hand out there. That's it's an illegal move. You can't just sit it on his face uh, like that. And, you know, it comes into the 11 things. He's like, hard warning. I'm like, you've been warning him 25 times throughout the whole fight. Take a point or just leave it alone. And so, I mean, not that it swayed the way the fight went, but yeah, he uses that as a measuring stick, a tool. Um, the one thing I did like that, Oscar Valdez was able to do was change levels with the lead right and he did lead I mean it was it was that distance that really bothered him that size um the reach like you mentioned and so he couldn't really cut that distance and that gap was really what Shakur Stevenson is really really good at being able to measure that um you know that comfortable space where he needs to work and so Valdez sometimes was in the range and sometimes he wasn't but when he was sometimes he mixed up and I think Tim Bradley mentioned this as well he would shoot straight right quickly up top and then to the bottom which is like a weird combination you don't see that often um but he was able to do that successfully in spots but just you know other than like a few here and there and in the post fight 
uh, interview, Bernardo Osuna is like asking him, like, you did a couple of good things, but why weren't you able to sustain it? <laughs> and it's like, how do you want me to answer that question? I mean, this guy has the tools, the size, the the IQ just to do what he wants in the ring. And so, again, we talked about it like with the Nakatila fight. Shakur Stevenson is going to do what he needs to do uh, to win the fight. And he's got the skills to pay the bills. And so he's really um it's exciting because you you can obviously see he's not this skinny toothpick the kid that we saw coming out of the olympics he's now built into a, a frame where you could easily see him move up to 135 where there's tons of matchups oh, so yeah. let, you know let's see him you know a few more fights he says he may want to become undisputed at 130 let's see him try to do that but hey all these guys are young you know the guys that we always talk about the haney's the ryan garcia's all of those guys, th these guys are young and it could be a very interesting future in and around that division. Absolutely. And what's really interesting about Shakur's style, two things. The first thing is that he already has a reach and high advantage over Oscar Valdez, but the way he stands, the way he kinds of, kind of leans back, he's able to capitalize that and make himself even taller. He has a kind of tall stance. He doesn't mm -hmm. bend his knees and crouch down. He's able to make himself, they, they say, if you're the taller person, make yourself taller. If you're the shorter person, make yourself shorter. Shakur Stevenson is really good at already being tall and making himself even taller and more distant. Aside from the jab, just leaning back a little bit and creating even more distance. And then for for me, my philosophy is um, there is a bit of a gray area with regard to, I think, um, how much you can keep your your guard in the opponent's face and as a measuring stick. But I if a ref is going to, you know, if the ref is going to stop you at least 15 to 20 times throughout the fight, like that, that means that he's seeing it as an illegal move or something you shouldn't be doing. Right. And it makes you look, you know, it makes you look bad if you're yeah. if you're if you're um, warning him and then there's no follow through. Right. Right. I think that's your that's the point you were making. But for mm -hmm. me, it's like I think Shakur Stevenson did a good job in doing it until you can no longer get away with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. but, but nobody ever held him accountable. So keep mm -hmm. doing it and keep winning and keep landing uh, your shots. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him if he can unify all the belts at 130 pounds there is absolutely nobody at 130 pounds who can do anything to Shakur Stevenson he really is a top talent he's gonna become a top pound for pound fighter I mean maybe he already is uh, yep. with this performance and then at 135 just think about the people who he could be fighting Ryan Garcia uh, Teofimo I think it looks like he's, he's going to 140 mm -hmm. right uh, Devin Haney, uh, George Cambosos. I mean, the winner of, of those two fights as well. Um, look at all the people at 135. It's going to make for an interesting um, matchup between Shakur and anybody there. And you might even see them as a favorite against any of those guys because right. of the style, because of how little other people have been able to do to him both at 126 and 130 pounds. It's just a, it's a wide gap in terms of talent and ability. Yeah. And he uh, he's obviously put on a performance that should catapult him into that discussion of, you know, maybe fringe nine ten area pound for pound. Um, but yeah, he's definitely one of the future stars of boxing. He proved that. And it's going to be interesting to see what he can do, who, who can bring something to the table, because even guys like Lomachenko with the skill, it's just that size is going to be different. And I don't, I'm not a guy that believes, I don't know how you feel about this, but you hear again, people start to complain the day after it's like, Oh, he's a weight bully. Look, if you can come into a fight and make the weight and then, you know, you, you get bigger, your water weight, whatever you could tell his physique wasn't like cut up. It's not like he came in like muscular. He he's gained in. weight. Yeah, he gained weight the day after, so he, he bulked up a little bit after the weigh-in. He made weight, 
if you can make the weight, I mean, those are the rules. So, you know, the same thing used to be said about Jared Hurd. Oh, he's he's uh, unfair advantage because he's so much bigger weight bully. I mean, if you can make that weight and why not take those advantages physically and you them, use them to your advantage? I don't know. Of how you course. No, absolutely. And some people don't have the same kind of ratio in terms of, you know, water and muscle that other people do. Some people are just naturally thinner. Some people could have a lot more muscle and look a lot more cut, but weigh a lot less than you. Um, one example is Sebastian Fedora. He's able to make that weight, but because right. he's naturally a skinnier guy, Tommy Hearns, when he was at 147 pounds, you know what I mean? He was yeah. able to move up to a higher division, but if your body is thin and it's allowing you to make the weight, um, then why not? And also, I mean, let's not forget, they both started at 126. You know, Shakur, is, is, he, he just moved up two or three fights ago. So mm-hmm. I don't know how anyone could call him a weight bully when he's naturally growing um, as he uh, develops as a fighter. Yeah, and all to his advantage. I mean, use it if you can, like we're saying. And we, we could be talking in a couple of years. It's like, oh, you remember he started at 126. Now he's at 140. Like, he looks great. You know, I remember with uh, Floyd Mayweather when he was younger, it's like he was talking like a year or two before he actually fought Oscar De La Hoya. And I'm thinking like, there's no way this dude moves up to fight De La Hoya. And then like little by little, you just see like he was able to carry that weight and test the waters. I mean, you could see the same thing with guys like uh, Shakur Stevenson and they're going to do it intelligently. He's got the skills. Obviously, he works uh, hand in hand with Bud Crawford, who's a bigger guy. Um, so technically and the skill wise, I mean, he's there, he could do whatever he wants. So it's going to be exciting to see, uh, what he brings to the table and what opposing fighters and trainers can try to, uh, craft up to really, you know, get a game plan to try to beat him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Crawford is a good example of people who are really moved up and done well from 135 to 147. And Oscar, Oscar was getting dropped at 130 and 135 mm-hmm. because he just wasn't balanced or for whatever reason. But would you have imagined that a guy at 130 and 135 could be able to be at 154 and take punches from a guy right. like Nano Vargas? It makes, right. But there's something about naturally progressing in, into those weight classes. That, yeah. That doing they, it the right way. Do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a guy that I think didn't do it the right way is Adrian Broner. Uh, when he yeah, jumped yeah, up, yeah. yeah, I mean, he would, he could have made those lower weights for longer. He would have had a, a longer career with bigger victories, I think, in the lower weight classes. But it's funny too. You mentioned De La right now, but when you were talking about standing straight up, he's one guy. I remember he didn't use his height. He would come in and like, oh yeah, know, crouch down and like, you know, it wouldn't be an advantage. His height wouldn't be an advantage after that. And he would just he did it against Whitaker, against Mosley. It's like he kind of comes in like a hunchback. Uh, right. But yeah, to the flip side, Stevenson does that really well, uses his height and uh, his defense is stellar. I think even when Oscar Valdez was hitting the body, you know, his arms were always in the right place. It, it was just really hard to place any shots that were going to land clean on him. Right. And he's improving his skills with Broner. One one critique that Mayweather had was that he would never improve his footwork. Maybe mm-hmm. at 135 when you're fighting DeMarco, I forgot who fought at 135 and dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, you can stand there and take these shots. But at 147. You're going to have to use your footwork a lot. And that's right. what Floyd Mayweather was doing. And so you keep you have to keep improving your skills as you move up and away because the strength isn't going to be the same. It isn't going to be a factor in your favor. Thanks for checking into the RBR recap. We've got Canelo fight week coming up. So we'll have a couple precap shows and then obviously the RBR recap episode 16 as well. Thank you for listening to the RBR recap. Make sure to follow us on social media at RBR Recap and visit RBRRecap.com for the latest episodes.